I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a season when the ladder is locked and the footy is shining on the field, off-field keeps throwing up curves. Today, we don't want to talk about names or specifics, but we want to have the kind of broad conversation on air that we always have off-air. This may lead to more questions than answers, but thanks for being with us. We're the Outer Sanctum. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. Head from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point, wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. Joining me, Emma Race, today are my football-loving lady friends as always. How are you, Dr Kate Sia? I'm good, thanks. Very pleased to be back. How are you, Nicole Hayes? Excellent, thank you. Felicity Race in the house. I am back. Sorry, I had to ring for Telstra, so I was gone for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, sometimes, how are you? Pumped up like Jaden Hunt's ball and I'm flying off into the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and Lucy Race, how are your size four balls? Um, they're pumped up as well, but I'm just feeling, sitting here feeling happy to look around and see all of you here. We have a quorum. We do finally have a quorum, which means the real witchcraft can start happening. <laughs> Let's kick it off, given that we're talking witchcraft, with Omen Watch Katie. What do you got for us? Yeah, well, first of all, without wanting to sound patronising, kudos, Lucy Race, for holding the fort last week on Omen Watch. It's the Thanks, best Omen Kate. Watch yet. Thanks, dude. Um, <laughs> But it's round 18, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the significance of the number 18. So it's come to my attention in the last few weeks that there's something very special about this number, particularly for some people of Jewish faith. And I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Jackie, who brought this to my attention. So I don't know if anyone's heard about this, but there is a Jewish system called gematria. I think that's how it's pronounced. And this is a system through which words in the Hebrew language are assigned numeric value. And uh, what Jackie was telling me that perhaps the most sacred word in the Jewish canon in in Hebrew is the word chai, which I I will have mispronounced, but um, which is the word for life or living Mm. or or being alive. And that's kind of the most precious word in, in the Hebrew language. And that word is comprised of two letters, which in Hebrew have a numeric value that adds up to 18. And so what this means is because this is a very precious word, the number 18 has come to be understood as a a very important number in Jewish faith, in Jewish culture. And so number 18 is a very lucky number. So it's round 18. So I guess the first thing to say is that this is a lucky round. I don't know who it's going to be lucky for. (laughs) I know that was going to be somebody's question, but, I mean, come on, I can only do so much here. Um, But the other thing thing I wanted to do, though, is just to reassure our Brisbane listeners, who we never really give much love to, that they're currently sitting 18th on the ladder. 
but take heart because (laughs) and and next time somebody gives you shit if you're a Brisbane fan push back and tell them that this is a sacred number and a precious number and it should um, be valued that way it should be valued that way it also means of course that next year will be particularly auspicious being 2018 but I just had a quick look at a couple of things about the number 18 so I went back to see if there were any messaging that I could deduce. Uh, I went back 18 seasons ago and I saw that North Melbourne won the flag 18 years ago. North Melbourne is second last on the ladder, obviously after Brisbane. So mathematically um, not possible? Mathematically not possible anymore. <laughs> then I went back 36 years ago. Who won the flag? Carlton. They're third last on the ladder. So I thought that was a bit kind of weird. And then thir- <laughs> 18 years before that. You thought so- it was going to like... Not be weird? Well, I don't know what I was thinking, but I never know really what I'm thinking. No, we don't know what you're thinking. You are making so much shit up now. And then I went back 54 years ago. I stopped at that point because I I saw that Geelong won the premiership 54 years ago. And you still haven't got over that. Um, And Dangerfield had a blinder. (laughs) So there we go. It all comes together. Do you know what? I actually think that's the worst omen I've ever (laughs) That was terrible. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop and we may even edit that out. That was so crap. (laughs) Go for it. Yeah, what's the atomic number of 18? It's Argon, right? What's an atomic oh, number? Oh my God. Is that a character out of Lord of the Rings? Yeah. <laughs> I think Argon's my favourite element. Yeah, Sounds like a superhero. <laughs> um, Alicia, you've got another segment for us called Jack Watch. We're all going to get our own watches. <laughs> this is really quickly. A few weeks ago I mentioned how many Jacks were on the St Kilda team and they've been doing well. Okay, quite shit last week, but the week before they were on fire. Um, they've got seven Jacks, a Josh, a Josh, a Jake and a Jason. So a quarter of their team is the letter J. Wow. So we could look at J in the number 18. But I just wanted to say that uh, Jack Sinclair is being signed for another two years. So it's really secure, this whole seven Jack thing. So I just wanted to say <laughs> nice. he's nice. been on fire. Like family. Yeah. There we go. So that's that's actually amazing. And now going gonna... to another day, how's Joe Danaher Well, I was going to say what out? happened to the poor St Kilda Jack watch is they ran into Danaher watch last week on the field. <laughs> and I think he's now competing with himself for Mark of the Year because he oh. has taken two. Two amazing minds. Both of which were actually at the highest point. At too. the very highest point. Mathematically. Unbelievable. <laughs> yes. I've got scoreboard watch and I was going to save this till the end because I actually think this is going to blow. I know I'm trash talking a lot today, Katie, but this is going to blow Omen Watch <laughs> out of the water. We Bring got an Not email hard. from a gorgeous listener called John this week. Gosh, the men were out in force this week emailing us and getting in contact. Um and he was talking about, obviously we've been touching on Lucy's Battle of Hastings favourite scoreline, and he says he has this concept, and and until he found us, he never felt supported enough to come out Aww. live with this. So we're really adding we're here, the megaphone John. to this concept that he has, and it's called Footy Days, so that every year there's at least one or two days or dates of that year which are legitimate footy scorelines. So this year, the 2nd of May 2007 is two. 5.17. So the 2nd of May was his first footy day. Oh. The next one is coming up. It's the 1st of the 11th 17. So the, I know, it's amazing. <laughs> Wait till you hear this, Alicia, though. On the last footy day of last year, that was the 1st of the 10th 2016. So the 1st of October was grand final day. John is a Bulldog supporter <gasps> and that's his birthday! Oh, oh, Tyler, you I mean, yeah. Watch is dead. I like, Moment Watch. I like to think that I've just inspired John to, to, <laughs> to come to out. Greatness. <laughs> to greatness. I just want to thank John for that. And if you are playing along at home and you did not 
get a tear in your eye over that. You are not legit. You are dead inside. (laughs) So I think let's really celebrate. The first of the 11-17 is our next big footy day. I think we put it all on our calendars and let's see what happens on that day, people. Yeah? Love it. Love it. it. Did you have Joe Nanaher watch or did you just do it? No, it (laughs) You know the segment goes for seven seconds. (laughs) That's an omen in itself. Now, some social media stuff. Nicole, you were watching social media for the fallout for poor Izzy who cannot kick a goal. (laughs) After the, on the side, maybe moments before the siren. To win a match. To win a match. To win a match. That's what I was looking for. And yet they keep giving it to him. No, we love Izzy. He's awesome. And, you know, until probably this last game and last year in the qualifying final against the Cats. We probably would have picked him above most to, if you want, you know, that mm. goal on the, the siren that could be the, the game changer. But alas, um, he did not pull through. Um, if anyone, anyone who didn't happen to see the end of that game in the final seconds, Izzy got the ball, it took a mark, and instead of taking a set shot, he played on. And the score, we were four points down, I think. He missed. So we, Hawthorne, sorry, we being Hawthorne, in case you don't know, mm. Hawthorne lost. Uh, Izzy could have won it. And unfortunately, in the in the hours after, he was absolutely lambasted in social media. Um, there were so many comments there that I, I didn't even bother attempting to reap. Well, I just don't want to offend everybody. Um, even the tabloid decided that they were too hateful. What did they say? Derogatory and grossly inappropriate. Um, so they didn't reproduce them either, but there were some pretty harrowing things said. You know, that this is all Izzy's fault and the fact that there were lots of other By goals fans? missed. Oh, Hawthorne fans, probably, a lot yeah. of them. Oh, a lot of them are they Hawthorne are fans. They are the worst, aren't they? It does, it does. <laughs> so but arrogant. The only one I will reproduce. And so just insert requisite abusive language, spelling and grammar errors yep. as yeah, in all of these sure. tweets we can take for granted. And I've just taken a few bits out, but... This is the only one I could reproduce. So first you cost us our four Pete legacy, all smiling, laughing, oh as your you know how he spelled that, your, you? yeah. going for a goal I'd kick in Division Two amateurs. Then you mark the ball inside 50 and cost Hodgie a win for his 300th, oh. and on and on it goes. So that was the, that was the best one. You um, can't also, hate Izzy Smith. Yeah, no. But it, you know what? Like, are you I, – I just don't get it. I don't think that you're a fan. If you can – have a go at a player from your team like that. You're not a real fan. But it's also that last man holding the ball gets the blame, don't they? Because, you know, whatever goes on in the first quarter actually has a huge impact. And the second, like, I reckon, like, if you're a player and the siren's about to go, don't get near the ball. Geelong are loving him potato. They're loving him. Yeah. Let's move on. All right. I suggested at the start of the pod that – Things are complicated and at nowhere more than at AFL House where there's staff leaving left, right and centre at the moment. So we've been contacted a lot this week about our thoughts and how to kind of process what happened during the week at AFL House. And I just want to be really overt and say we don't have any great answers. I hope that you'll stick with us, but we don't have any great answers. And also we're not the high sparrow. We're not going to sit here and say that we're perfect and that we've never done things that, you know, were reprehensible morally <laughs> because we can't <laughs> say that. And I'm looking at you, Nicole Hayes. No, um, But I think the first question that I want to put out there is one that's stayed with me which is, isn't having an affair just having an affair? Like, when that's not a sackable offence. And we didn't see people get sacked. We saw people leave Resign. their mm-hmm. jobs and they resigned. So clearly there was an untenable working situation for those people to stay there. But I just wanted to open it up and say, 
am I crazy in saying don't affairs happen all the time at work and isn't actually a human right to just have a relationship with people you want to have a relationship if they're consenting? That's been what's been plaguing mm. me a bit this week. I don't think you're crazy. I think a lot of the discussion this week's been about how many relationships do come out of workplaces. Mm. and Including my parents. <laughs> Oh, look at you. Yeah. I didn't even know they worked at AFL House. <laughs> <laughs> They're very junior. I think one of the things um, in doing some research around this was that if you are having an affair at work or with someone from work... Or that, a relationship. Maybe. Or a relationship, yeah. yeah mm. That actually to protect yourself and to protect the other mm. party, that it's actually a really good... Um, kind of practice to tell HR, which sounds completely crazy because Mm. a lot of the time these kind of illicit situations, you don't want anyone to know. But if you tell HR, then that protects you because, and I'm not giving you a how-to guide on having (laughs) cheating on your spouse, but then it protects the company, it protects your clients, it protects potentially your integrity down the track. If things go sour, it, it ensures that the relationship has been registered as one that's not a, it's not sexual harassment it's um a consensual relationship between adults and in some ways hr is there to protect you and to protect everyone involved probably apart from your at home partner but that was one thing that i found pretty astounding um, better to the find out that. that way than get pashing on a fax machine at a christmas party Tell us about it, Alicia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I think, you know, a lot of companies have policies where any relationship, so whether that's a familial relationship or a romantic relationship, is declared so that then you're not placed in a position of influence. Yeah. Power Um, play is important. And so that's that's the important thing. And I think that's one area that can be tricky Mm. if something's secret. And I do, I think it is complicated because, you know, there is a power imbalance and all those sorts of things. But even apart from that, I, I think we need to w- rewind a few weeks. And I just don't feel like it was the media's role here to start this ball rolling. I don't feel like this is something that needs to go public. I think, and it, once they did that, the AFL didn't have a lot of choices, I feel, given that they're very high profile roles, you know, that the, the executive members, that they also you know, for one in particular is a leader of the women's game, um, that there's a general push trying to change this notion that they are a blokey culture, that this flies in the face of all of that. So in many ways it became impossible and untenable. But let's go back a few steps. Why would the media be reporting on this? I don't feel like that was their role. It's an interesting question too, Nick, because right back at the start of this season, you might remember we had Bill Birnbauer on talking about James Hurd and media coverage of that. And Bill reminded us that the media really should report on things where it is in the public interest, not just um, of interest to people generally, not just of interest to people in the public. And so uh, that's an interesting question. Like, why was this in the public interest? I don't know. I think it's a bit complicated in that if... The AFL came out and announced that after um, Fahua had just left, if they then announced that two more executives were leaving without mm. giving any reason, which it, 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 there would have been digging, it would have, you know, it would have come out, it anyway. would have come out. Yeah. And apparently the story was rolling okay. for six weeks or something. But did they beforehand. need to? 
Well, this is what I, I feel that there's probably pieces of the story that, that we, we don't, don't know, ne- yeah. know and that I don't need to know. No. If the AFL mm-hmm. think it's an untenable mm-hmm. working relationship and if they feel that it compromised the ethics and the optics of um, trying to have a really gender-balanced and um, productive safe. and safe and working, yeah. space. working space for both genders, then I guess you just have to say that that's their call. They don't want to lose staff. No, if those women have grievances, which I I'm kind of, you know, you hear here along the line, I'm not saying they're proven, that they, they might have legitimate reasons exactly. to, yeah. to be. It's very messy yeah. though, isn't it, the whole thing? One thing that, Kate, you were on about love, love, <laughs> one. is <laughs> not to infantilise women. Yeah, one of the things I've been thinking about over the week is um, that I think there are competing public policy workplace type considerations in a situation like this. And one of the things I think that it's important to recognise is that the AFL is traditionally a very male-dominated working environment. And so uh, there was an initial concern about what women's experiences in an organisation like that are. AFL is not the only kind of work environment like that, but it's one. And so I fully understand and recognise the importance of protecting protecting anyone in the workplace, ensuring people aren't harassed or whatever it might be. That's That's on the one hand. But I also feel very concerned about what happens when we might overextend and and by thinking that perhaps we're protecting women or, or anyone in a workplace, sometimes what we can actually do is produce the very kind of harms that we're purporting to address. And I wanted to tell a little story about my own experiences, if I can, in order to, to illustrate this. The general point I want to make is that power in workplaces is complex and diffuse and it operates in all kinds of weird ways. And it's never uh, never really that simple. It's never sort of simply gendered or whatever, although it often can be. But as I said, I want to tell a story from my own experiences. So I, I, give me a bit of time to make sure I do justice to this because it was a really difficult experience that I had at work. Many years ago at a workplace I won't name, I some concerns were raised by people that I worked with that I might have been myself having a relationship with an older uh, married man in the workplace and somebody who was at that time actually directly in charge of me, so my sort of direct line manager. Um, but I wasn't having a relationship with him. I was approached and asked about it and I were told by my colleagues that if I were having a relationship with an older man in a workplace, it would not, and I quote, be a very good look. And what happened was in the course of being sort of confronted and asked about my relationship with him, I was forced to answer a series of questions to explain myself, to talk about the the nature of my relationship with him. All of this was ostensibly out of a concern for me as a younger woman in a workplace um, with an older male boss. But I found it very confronting and embarrassing and an invasion of my privacy. And that's, I think, a very, that's the kind of key point, because that's a really important consideration, I think, in and of itself in workplaces that can sometimes be overlooked. That, yes, as you say, Lucy and Em, you know, you need to make sure that there aren't conflicts of interest in workplaces, and that's really important. But also we need to uh, respect people's privacy and rights, rights Mm. to have relationships. And what worried me most, I think, was that there was an assumption, which was very clear in the discussions that I had, that I lacked the capacity to make my own choices as a young woman. And I realise that sometimes people do because sometimes people are pressured into relationships and I fully understand that. But I think we need to be careful that that kind of concern, particularly for young women, doesn't become a form of paternalism in and of Mm. itself, infantilising women, moralising about women's sexuality and women's bodies, because that happens quite a bit. And 
I think my experience taught me that, yes, I know that abuses of power do unfold in workplaces, but that they can come in a lot of different forms. And Mm. one of them is moralising and surveillance of women's choices and bodies by people who might disapprove of the possibility that we're having relationships with people that they might not find appropriate. And I felt that in my experience, that kind of behaviour can be just as harmful as sexual harassment of the kind that organisations are trying to, to push out and that we need to remember that power is more complex and diffuse. I felt that I was a victim of an abuse of power in that situation when I was confronted by colleagues um, and that we need to recognise that power plays out in a whole range of ways, not just uh, in the kind of you know unilateral top-down mm-hmm. um, form that we might have thought. So you're saying it's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> I think that's the name of today's show. Yeah. It is complicated. I also think that without knowing true stories on things, it's very difficult to have a, a conversation because, you know, we're talking in broad issues yeah. and I think that's all we can do. Mm. When we sort of move forward and look at what's happened, you know, at the AFL, we've now got three executives have gone and Gil's gone away on holiday. Um, I don't know about the optics of that. Mm. Um, I've found a lot of the discussion around when it's appropriate to take leave has kind of come into it as well. Mm. I, I find that really weird mm. personally. Like if you're heading the AFL and the season goes for a certain amount of time, can you not take your holidays outside of footy season? It would feel like that that's the, the pointy end, isn't yeah, like it? How, I mean, yeah. Given that things do tend to blow up and, mm, and he is the public face in many mm. ways. Yeah, I maybe have a slightly different view. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> that. No, just because I appreciate that he's very highly paid, that he's in charge of an organisation where there are some, some mm. optics that have been problematic in the last couple of weeks. But also, too, I don't know about Gil's personal circumstances. Exactly. And, yeah. You know, he might be taking leave because he's got a sick wife or a sick relative or you know he's had whatever it might be i have one issue with it one thing i was thinking about um in terms of there's not a lot of people home at the house (laughs) right now at the shack and and ralph not racetrack ralph the other one john John ralph Ralph. then not all ralphs are the same um, (laughs) the one who's always uncomfortable that one john ralph john ralph um suggested that when the next bloke comes in yes and people did pick him up on the language so we we are making headway people and he conceded Mm. exactly but he made the point for me which is that i have never understood why the head of women's footy was a man Mm. and i'm not saying that a man can't do the job but a woman will understand the job in in other ways um and i think this is a really good opportunity for potentially for the roles to be split, for um, there to be footy ops and that's one role and for head of women's footy to be someone else who is potentially a woman because what we hear on the ground is that issues with around women's footy and with the issues that we're facing right now with developing and furthering the game, a lot of them are really personal female experiences and things that other CEOs who are female would have really great insight into. Exactly. So here's a wonderful opportunity mm. to think about people who might step up for that role, like Jenny Lufnan or Kate. Um, or Ka- <laughs> Kate's exactly. here. Um, she couldn't exactly. get the scheduling done. There's quite done. a few, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a shame. It, I think um, quite apart from that, the yeah, I don't even think you have to look within football, but there's plenty. There's people across from the other coasts, soccer and from NRL, 
you know, they've made, mm. men have made that switch. Players have made that switch. So if they can do that across code, I don't think they have to look immediately in, into mm. AFL, even though there are options available to them, just because the reality is the women's sport, the women's football aspect, probably you want them to be um, a footballer or for, or somebody who's worked in the code. But in terms of the administration, it, that's that's a very general sort of, Role. You know the the importance of seeing people in those roles, but also the the practicality of it. Um, it really was. It, it sort of came home last night when Kate and I went to a Women of the Eastern Football League event, and we were talking to a, a gorgeous lady who is a first time coach, and she's coaching an under sixteen girls team. And she said, she said one of the things that would really help me as a coach is to have women to learn from. She said, mm. every event I go to, I walk in and I have mm. men teaching me how to do everything. And she said, you know, there must be women now developing all the way up. And, and this goes all the way up to those roles in the AFL, that if we can then start have the women teaching the women all the way mm. down. Mm. Um, and I think if, if, if we broaden it out, there's sometimes a tendency in organisations to hire people that are like you. So you, you hire people who you think are a good cultural yep. fit for that organisation. And there's a lot of research to show that if you hire people who actually make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, I'll go with that word, Emma, <laughs> um, that you sometimes get a much better outcome because you're getting more diverse voices and I was really struck when we spoke to Shelley Ware the other day and she talked about her role at Carlton and she picked out some very specific objectives that she had with working with the Indigenous players at Carlton that she was aware of because of her background. Mm. And so, you know, when we think about the unknown unknowns, (laughs) the more that you have diverse voices and people from different backgrounds and people who actually think quite differently in an organisation, the more you get to those. Mm. What's next? A female Doctor Who? (laughs) (laughs) Here's a curly question. Here's a really curly question. Did you see the AFL's announcement that um, people would be stood down because of affairs, did you see that as a female-skewed gender issue? Did you see that as protection of women or did you just see that as an administrative issue? I don't know. I think I saw it as a PR thing that, you know, all the work and all the words about, you know, respect and responsibility and all that, I just don't think that it fits with the... You know the the image that the AFL is going for, and you know I, I'm I would guess that if maybe if these people were forced to leave, they might even have a legal case to go back and say you had no right to. You know, I, I think it's about. Hell Woods legally blonde is that it again? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, doctor. Did you no, see you it as a female? Did you see it as a female gender? I think. Based look, I think issue? if they're trying to, it does have that ring of trying to um, overcome that blokey culture. It doesn't mm. do that any justice at all. And I do think that that's a problem. It's ongoing for the AFL, which is why it's so important that they have some of these roles are replaced that women are replaced. And I just wanted to mention a couple of names. It was Moya Dodd, who's from the FFA, the Executive Committee of the FFA and former VP of Asian Football. She's got incredible experience and background. There's Gabrielle Trainer, who's from the AFL herself, who's involved in the AFL Commission. Emma Highwood from the FFA Executive, Head of Community and Women's Football over there. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone from in the code. And I no. think they just have to, because there hasn't been that cultivation of women's football, they're going to have to look outside probably in order to make sure that happens. Going back to what you asked him, I I saw it as another, a little bit like the Ali Fahur thing that while things were going along nicely on field that 
any mention of the AFL in the media has been um, something that's kind of seemed negative. And I think sometimes when things like that happen, we look for who's the goody in this, who's the baddie, mm. what's what's. What's to be blamed, the, yeah, it? and because we all do talk about football and football issues a lot, there's a lot of people scrambling to to discuss the story. Um, I think that time has been really useful in terms of trying to make sense of it, but also to decide what is worthy of discussion, what's not. Mm. Alicia, do you feel like Gil was riding in on his what as a white knight saving women? <sighs> No, I didn't think that straight away. Maybe I'm just, I'm a Pollyanna. I always see the bright side of things. I was just thinking there's more to it than we know. I also think it's important that they have the look that they're doing the right thing. And I think that's crucial. And especially not to say these two or three men in particular have done anything wrong. But if there's history of those things in the workplace, I'm all for this. Mm. I, I didn't see it as a sexist thing straight away. Okay, here's another really curly one. The last week... Breaking with tradition, usually the Norm Smith medalist is um, the announcement of who is going to present the Norm Smith medal is a lot later in the year. For some reason this year, it happened to fall mid last week and it was quite a big deal because they suggested that it would be James Hurd and obviously that incited a whole lot of discourse. Mm. I don't even know if that's a whole other podcast. Maybe. I wouldn't listen to it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But was that a smokescreen? No one was fishing around for that story at that time. So that information was put out there. Was that a convenient smokescreen to muddy the waters last week? Then you make an announcement on a Friday and then then all of a sudden there's footy. I can't see how anybody running communications there knowing what was coming out that week would go, and now's a good time to put that out Mm. unless you're trying to... Throw a diversion. Yep. Some, uh, okay. you know. It did. I think they were. It didn't work. It didn't. It disappeared, no. didn't it? But no. yeah. Maybe they're just throwing out all the trash in one well, week. Maybe, like, wait, the, which you know, putting out trash. all the stories that we're going yes. to, mm. you know, let's so just have one hell week and then flood our I think that story will come back, though. <laughs> yeah, it of will. Of course it will come back in grand yeah. final week when mm. 50,000 disgruntled corporate sponsor fans have had a skin full <laughs> and someone gets up to have their moment in the sun getting a Norm Smith medal and all you can hear yeah. is booing. Yeah. What? Did I just give an opinion? <laughs> um, one final thing I just wanted to say was this was fascinating. This is when things get way too close. When you've got the Venn diagrams and you're crossing over between issues and family relationships. I was listening to SEN this week and on the breakfast show they have Tim Watson, Gary Lyon and Hamish McLaughlin and they were talking about the issues of the week and Tim was trying to ask the question, should Gil have gone on holidays around this very public story of what seems to have been an affairs. Gary couldn't give any <laughs> insight because he could speak with no authority, really. Yeah. And Hamish also couldn't speak because he didn't want to put his brother, brother in, in, in the poo. And Tim was just yelling questions down a hallway. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a moment and no, I thought... Just radio silence? You, yeah. Tim, sometimes I well, I don't know if anyone else heard it. Tim was doing a great, great job. He was asking some really great questions that I wanted to know the answer to. There was no one in that room who could answer them. Um, Elwood. Elwood, exactly. Um, before we move on, I just wanted to say that 
when we talk about gender issues around foot and we talk about the way women are viewed and the responsibility of AFL, which is such a juggernaut, in, especially in this state, to to talk about the equality of genders. We got this message on Twitter, I think it was, by one of our listeners who's got two daughters and they're both really invested in female footy. And it's going to sound like a bit of a curve that I'm throwing in here, but this is what happens when these issues are flying around in the ether that his 10-year-old daughter said to him, am I pretty enough to play football? And it broke me in two because I thought that is actually a really astute question. Mm. Because that's mm. the value. That's mm. what she's picked up. And I can tell by the conversations that I've had with her dad that, that this is not something that they would talk about in those terms. But that's what she's picking up from what's happening around the media and around the game that she loves. And um, I just want to thank Meg Hutchins put out a really interesting response, which was, I don't know, are you pretty tough? Are you pretty hard at the ball? <laughs> oh, nice. Are you pretty confident? And I thought that's a really great way for her to go forward. Another positive thing I saw this week is the NRL have come out and said that they're looking at slapping a lifetime ban on players who've been convicted with gender-based crimes. And I think that that sends a really strong message. And I think Kate's probably looking at me going, there is going to be some complications when, you know, in convictions, I think, of that kind of thing. But it puts out a message that says that we're really serious about changing the conversation on this. Yeah, one thing I'm really interested in, going again with the theme of everything being complicated this week, is how the fact that somebody might lose, say, their contract and be prohibited from playing for the rest of their life and lose their livelihood would be understood by the the court, the criminal court, when convicting someone, whether they'll take that into account and reduce that person's sentence as a result because they know that there's this second big hit coming down the pipeline. And um, it'll be interesting to me to see how all of that plays out too. Yesterday, uh, Dan Ziffer, a senior producer and epic researcher and investigator who works at the ABC on John Fain's program, did some investigating and some digging around of a $30 million handout that was given to Foxtel, which we thought was for women's sports and for underrepresented sports. Earlier today, Felicity and some of the girls caught up with Dan Ziffer. Dan, earlier in the year, we were all pretty excited when we saw a huge amount of government money being directed towards the promotion of what they sort of bundled together as underrepresented and women's sport. Um, And a whole lot of that money went to Foxtel. Yesterday, you broke a story. Can you tell us a little bit about what unfolded yesterday in your investigations into that money and where that is being used by Foxtel? I certainly can, Sanctum, and thank you for having me. It's, uh, I think, in the acres of newsprint that come out after the federal budget, you know, those huge budget wraparounds for all the papers and hours of coverage, there was a little line. I thought, this is really interesting. $30 million, which was given over four years to support the broadcast of what was called underrepresented sport on subscription television. Now, that includes women's sports, niche sports, and sports with a high level of community involvement and participation. So the bit that caught my eye is that $30 million is a, you know, it's a good effort to uh, produce sport, which is very expensive to uh, broadcast live, mm. uh, even if you tape games live and then broadcast them. Just going out, the amount of resources that you need, it's very expensive. So to put that on Foxtel was surprising because in the media environment in Australia, the number of people who subscribe to Foxtel is falling as things like Netflix and Stan and some of these subscription video on demand or Zvod uh, <laughs> channels uh, take off. So what 
I wondered is why is that money going to Foxtel rather than the free-to-air channels which people mm. can access for no money? They are broadcast terrestrially across Australia. So if the aim was to let these sports be able to be seen by the most people, you would think that they would you know, do a tender to the uh, free-to-air channels, which mm. include the ABC. Also, there is a conflict there because I work for the ABC. Um, you think I, w- I wondered why that money was going straight to Foxtel, so we decided to investigate. So the next step, as we heard yesterday on John Fain's breakfast show when you were um, describing the process, was you put in a freedom of information application to find out exactly what the parameters were around that money? So everything that happens within the federal government, with a few exceptions around defence and things like that, you can search uh, what's called an FOI, a freedom of information application. You really do write to them and say, I want to find out this. Uh, And normally, as an individual, you do it to... Uh, find out your health records at a hospital or if you are going through some kind of legal processes, you can get the details of the car accident you're involved in or a court case that you kind of got caught up in and things mm-hmm. like that. So you can, you can get that information and the aim is to make government open and transparent. So I uh, applied for any correspondence between the department and Foxtel about how this deal came together. So anything. And there's a bit of argy-bargy, as there is with the lawyers. They say, look, that's, that's too broad or, you know, this is not enough or, you know, what do you actually want? And so that bit I mentioned before about the $30 million over four years, I said very specifically, this is what we want to know. We'll take anything, any correspondence, any documents, any meetings, and anything that's written down about that measure and how it was formulated, we'll take it. And uh, they eventually got back to us with what they had. And... The, the actual wording on well, that was? Uh, they decided to refuse access, and I'm reading here from the letter uh, under a section, as I'm satisfied that documents falling within that scope of your request do not exist. <laughs> what? So Nothing. the fallout Nothing. from this, as uh, I was reading and listening to, and, and, and it will be an evolving story. I mean, big questions are being asked. But on paper, it looks like there was a deal where money went to Foxtel and in return there is nothing in writing that says exactly how they're going to spend that, how they're going to promote women's and underrepresented sports, um, which sort of sports or which sort of broadcasts are going to get the money, whether it's going to be maybe overseas content they're going to spend it on as opposed to local. There's nothing. Well, you said on paper and sadly the most amazing thing about this is this isn't even a back-of-the-envelope deal. There's no envelope. Oh, uh, there are no guidelines no checks and balances. Do they have to show one hour of sport or is 10 minutes enough? What sports? Mm. Uh, on what channels? Do they, can they show it in the middle of the night? Uh, there, is, there are no parameters around this deal that we have been able to find and we are searching further. Uh, we haven't heard from the communications minister. He's declined to comment further on it. Foxtel has also declined to comment. They have been uh, you know, asked to. So at this stage, we know absolutely nothing. You know, I mean, the aim is to have these sports seen by a large audience. Mm. They've been given $30 million of taxpayers' money to do so. And at this stage, we know absolutely nothing about what that money is going to be used for. Dan, as lovers of women's and underrepresented sports, thank you for uh, investigating this and for bringing it to everybody's attention. I can't imagine this story is going to go away. Can you no, guys? No, no. What next? I mean, that's the thing. Uh, well, the senior figures in the government have been asked to comment. I know that the opposition is understandably interested uh, in that. The sense we get at the moment is that all of the free-to-air channels were given essentially a gift from the taxpayer. They no longer have to pay licence fees, which were in the order of around $30, 40 $50 million a year. Uh, they have been waived. 
due to kind of media competition and as part of reforms that are going through that have not yet gone through the parliament, there is a sense that this money may have been a bit of a... uh, An equaliser. Potentially, Mm. to Foxtel, um, who were left out of that process because they don't pay a licence fee. But at this stage, we do not know. That is conjecture from others. uh, And we'll find out more. Watch this space. Watch this space. Thank you, Dan, and thank you to you and John Fane for uh, keeping on this story, and we'll we'll keep watching it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Big fans, uh, and uh, lovely to hear how fantastically you guys have done. Thanks, Thanks, Dan. This weekend is actually a really exciting weekend for footy because it's the Pride game. It's St Kilda versus Sydney at the SCG. Nicole and Alicia, you went to the Pride game. You were covering it last year. How was the vibe? Oh, that was great. We were with Chicks Talking Footy and um, it was just a celebration. We were in this booth and it was the loudest booth ever. We were just partying. There was policemen who came in with their Pride stuff on. It was gorgeous and a great celebration. The Saints got thumped, but apart from that, it was just awesome. Yeah, it was spectacular. And just the vibe in the crowd. Everybody was there for all the right reasons. From beginning to end, it was, yeah, it, yeah as you say, the, the, the result almost didn't matter. Maybe for Swans fans. But it was um, all these people who just showed up to support the idea and the beauty, the magnificence of the rainbow across the, oh. across the crowd was yeah. really something special. So this week, Hawthorne have launched. They have a pride group. And Carlton now have a pride group too. So many um, supporter groups are popping up at the conversation has changed. I think we can safely say that people who are LGBTIQ feel that there is a place that is welcoming for them to go to footy games. And I think that was one of the most beautiful things about last year was people saying it was the first time I went back to a game or the first time I felt okay to hold my partner's hand at a game. Mm. So we will see that this week and we're looking forward to it. But one person who this doesn't happen without is Jason Ball. Thanks very much for joining us today, Jason, on the Outer Sanctum to chat about the Pride round that's happening this weekend. My pleasure. It's great to be back. So tell us a little bit about it. This is the second incantation of the um, the Pride round. It's happening up in Sydney. You're heading up for it, I suppose? Yeah, I am. I'm really excited to be going up there for a few events uh, around the outskirts of the game and I'll also be speaking at the chairman's function uh, at the SCG on the night. So tell us about the, the suite of events that's on offer because, as you said, it's not just the, the game itself. There's a whole range of things happening, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. So we have the game itself, obviously, which is in its second year. And this year, for the first time, it's being hosted in Sydney by the Sydney Swans. So it'll look a little bit different to last year, which was hosted in St Kilda at Etihad Stadium, but really fantastic to have a whole new audience um, and group of people to, to reach the very important message of, of LGBTI inclusion in sport too. So Sydney actually have probably one of the strongest uh, and largest LGBTI fan groups out of all of the AFL clubs. We've seen new ones popping up all over the place since the Pride game last year. The Rainbow Swans are actually uh, up to 400 paid up members and um, about 700 people in their Facebook group. And so they'll be hosting a pregame event as well as an after party, which is going to be sensational. So (laughs) I think they've got about 500 people RSCP to their pregame function, um, which is wonderful. There's going to be so much red and white and rainbow uh, at this game. It's going to look absolutely amazing. We were just talking before about how amazing it was last year and the absolute celebratory nature of the whole game was just incredible. How did you feel being at the game? Oh, it was an amazing feeling. And it's a really good point to note that this is about 
a celebration. And it's a really positive way to be talking about LGBTI issues as opposed to, say, the opposite could be talking about, you know, saying no to homophobia and standing up to homophobia, which is important and needs to be done. But it's a much bigger conversation than that. And it should be about creating a space where people can feel proud of who they are, where they can feel comfortable and safe to be who they are. Because we know for the LGBTI community, according to the research and uh, that that hasn't always been the case within the world of sport and particularly AFL. Jason, last year we um, we chatted with Tynan Winmar before the Pride match and it was amazing to hear his story and I guess what it meant to him personally having that mm. event. I know there's some personal stories this year as well, isn't there, with some family connections to some of the players on the day? Yeah, there are. And, and that story last year, I think, really you know crystallised what the game was all about for a lot of footy fans. To have someone like Nicky Winmar, who's so respected and revered within the game of AFL, a true champion of the game, but also someone who had taken that iconic stand against racism all of those years ago um, with the, you know, the lift up the jumper point to the skin and an act of defiance against racism. For him to be the one saying that tackling homophobia is the next frontier to make our game inclusive and welcoming to everyone and to talk about his relationship and him being proud of his gay son, Tynan, uh, was, I think, one of the key elements behind getting uh, bringing the community uh, on the journey when it comes to understanding the challenges that LGBTI people face when it comes to participation in sport. And that was obviously Nikki being a, a St Kilda man, uh, a fantastic St Kilda story that surrounded the Pride game. And this year, it's been fantastic to see uh, some Sydney stories coming out. And the most notable one you listeners may have seen on AFL 360 this week yep. was that of Nick and Mav Newman. So Nick Newman, obviously... Uh, a Sydney Swans player. His younger 19-year-old brother, Mav, is openly gay. And so the, the two of them are sort of, you know, talking about their experiences growing up um, uh, of Mav coming out to Nick and Nick being completely fine with it and Nick's, you know, uh, you know, pride in playing in a pride game and Mav going along and, and watching it, um, you know, it, it certainly um, tugs the heartstrings, but it really humanises this issue, which is really important because it is about people, um, you know, and our game of football is made up of people and they've all got their own stories. Jason, one thing I'm really interested to ask you about is what it's been like personally for you to be involved in this. Um, many of our listeners will know that you've been one of the most significant figures in driving for a Pride game and in speaking about LGBTQI inclusion through footy. I wonder whether you can just tell us a little bit about what it was like for you, though, last year and whether you had a moment in between all of the, the hustle and bustle and all of the media that you were doing and all of the official <laughs> duties that you had to just stop and and let it all soak in what was happening? Um, it, it's hard to describe because it was like I was totally just picked up in the rush of the night. You know, I was doing media and speaking. I got to toss the coin with the US ambassador to America who was openly gay and, you know, in the middle of the ground there, he said just how amazing this was and how he can't wait to take the idea to America and the NFL. And it's like, you know, those feelings of, you know, this is only the beginning. Like, sure, this is... You know, it's a culmination of a lot of years of hard work and lobbying and pushing. Um, but it's also just a start because this is just one game. Um, and we know that there are 16 other teams in the AFL who could benefit from, you know, being more involved with the LGBTI community and doing more in this space. Um, but I think for me, it was the moment when I had the pleasure of uh, 
watching another openly gay amateur level football player, Sean Towner, um, who was at the game. And um, I'd worked with St Kilda to make sure that lots of other people's stories were shared in the lead up to the game. And his was one of them. He's the captain of Pegs, old boys in the VAFA. And he'd come out and I helped him uh, become an ambassador for Beyond Blue. And his story was actually captured and put on the big screen at the game. And the moment of watching him holding his partner, Mikey's hand, and seeing his own story on the big screen at Etihad Stadium and seeing tears just streaming down both of their face in joy, I think that was the moment for me that it just felt really real. And to know that it wasn't just me who felt proud and safe and welcome in a game of football, but to know that it was impacting so many other people in such a positive way. You know, I think that was the moment that it became very real for me. There's no doubt this is going to be just as awesome. Who are you going for? Oh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, look, I think the the amount of work um, that I've had the pleasure of doing with the St Kilda Football Club and their leadership in this space, my personal friendship with the likes of Sam Gilbert, who's one of our strongest allies, I guess if Sam Gilbert was playing in the game, which unfortunately he's not because he's injured himself, um, you know, it would 100% be St Kilda. But I think even without Sam playing in the day, it still has to be St Kilda for me. And always it's good to go for the underdog, who I suppose St Kilda will be going into Saturday night's game. Jason, have a wonderful weekend up there. Um, Congratulations on everything you've done to get this up and, you know, really just a a huge part of what is now the AFL calendar. can't wait to to watch it from this end. Thank you. And it's been so wonderful to listen to your podcast every week, can I say. It is just such a fantastic thing to have a diversity of voices within the game of AFL now. And you girls are really driving that. I absolutely love listening to your show. And you guys have been at the forefront in getting content out there around what it means particularly for the LGBTI community and their intersection with football. So can I give you guys a pat on the back and say thank you? Thank you, Jason. uh, Thank you. Thanks, Jason. It's very kind. Thanks to Jason Ball and have a great time this weekend. I wish that we were all going up there for the game, but we're not. So all of our Sydney listeners, can you take some photos and send them to us and keep us tagged in and keep us in the loop of what um, what rainbow goodness happens up there? Alicia, sometimes, do you have a word of the week? Yeah, I know this is strange, right? But uh, the Bulldogs, uh, there was a report on afl.com.au. The coach said that the club moonwalked after the previous win over North Melbourne. I just love oh, that. That's a good they thing. Moonwalked. Is that good or bad? Moonwalk? I don't know. Well, you moonwalk know. backwards, so I'm not sure that that would yeah. be a great... But you usually do it with a bit of sass. They moonwalked, but now uh, after the 20-point defeat of Carlton, uh, they are going forward. So I think they moonwalked when they lost against North Melbourne, and now they're... They went backwards. Was he thinking of actual no, moon no, or Michael Jackson? No, moonwalking like, can't be bad. What, awesome. they, what kind of dance moves did they do after they won the granny? <laughs> oh. Salsa? <laughs> I don't know. Something forward a motion. Tango? Yeah, <laughs> pop and lock. Anyway, pop and, lock. pop and lock. Maybe this Putty week, if they lock. win, they could do a conga line. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. We can do one out of here. We'll record right. it. Show it's 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 fantastic. Da, da. Hey, Lucy, da. last week we went to our Hawthorne in Business ladies' lunch thing, and you got to sit next yeah. to someone a little bit saying. special. I was lucky enough to have lunch with uh, just me and my friend Peter Hudson. Oi, oi. <laughs> last week. <laughs> Nick was there too, <laughs> but. Thank you. I ignored her as much as I could. <laughs> totally. What do so, we call Peter Hudson? We call him our real dad. <laughs> Sorry, dad. 
from behind he looks a bit like yeah, our dad. Yeah. So Peter and I had a really lovely lunch and over the shit table for two. <laughs> we, um, we talked about some really big issues. So we like, did. It, and that was what was amazing to sit there with a legend of the game and be able to talk some really big issues. Like, like who's inside the, the state of the suit? game and <laughs> no, like the state of the game and whether Peter thinks it's it's great, which he does. Third man up. Um, well, no, we no, didn't we didn't get, get to that. But we, did, we went through the Hawthorne list completally totally. and gave out. We both oh, shared our opinions on it that. It was cool. Um, Leading teams. And we also, we also talked about pets being named after footballers. <laughs> so all the important stuff. And, and just on pets being named after sports people, Peter told me this story about when the family moved to Melbourne when his son Paul was drafted to Hawthorne and his daughter was about 14 at the time and had to move states and go to a new school. And on that first day, she was understandably just a little bit nervous and not sure what to expect. So when she walked into her first class, she tried she tried to introduce herself and the teacher said, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> I have a cat named Peter Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> And poor, the poor thing was mortified of and course. came home going, what is this? This is <laughs> terrible. Absolutely mortified. Oh, oh my God. Crazy Imagine people. if you met someone who had a cat called Neil Race. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, for the record, I'd just like it noted, though, that Peter thinks that any sports person would feel honoured. Oh. To have a pet named after oh, them. Yeah. So, nice. and he he says, it's true. Keep going. Did he have a position on chicken salt? Yeah, <laughs> I've got one. The so only close. thing we like can What uh-huh. about that one on Twitter the other day? It was talking about someone who had a chicken named after Lenny Hayes, but it was called Henny Lays. That's oh, right. That's I think Becca Hayne, maybe Becca Hayne sent that into us. That's award winning. That's award winning. That's some real. Absolute gold. Yeah, absolute Can we do pun watch? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think we definitely should. Has anyone got any final business? I just wanted to. Oh yes, yes. Oh, we got. Oh, just to mention that uh, awesome that the ABC are doing sideliners uh, this week. It's a look on footy and uh, Olympic champion Nicole Livingston and comedian Tegan Higginbotham are joined by a panel of athletes, comedians, interviews. It's starting six o'clock this Friday, so look out for that. I've got bigger news. Yes, than that. what's that? Um, even though this, I can't believe in the that it hasn't happened before now. But AFLW Premiership coach Beck Goddard has been re-signed by the Crows. So um, why it took this long, Bow. who knows? But ta-da! Well done. They, they couldn't they find they a pen. Go back to back. Could be that. Couldn't find a pen. Uh, I'm going to the Taj Mahal on Sunday. Oh, enough. <laughs> Enjoy. I can't Princess believe you're Diana. going on holiday with all this stuff happening. <laughs> Not holiday. I'm going for work. <laughs> Going for work. Sure. I'm meeting with, up with Gil. Sure. <laughs> Have a nice time. Hey, we are doing another kick and coffee. If you build it, they will come. Is what they said. Turns out it's true. Is it? I don't know. Is it a kick and coffee though? Because I see on the run sheet, kick and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that was my little joke. Loved it. Um, so kick and coffee is all sold out. Even though you know, no money has changed hands. But make sure you do bring Subscribed. a little bit of cash so that you can buy yourself a coffee. Because we can't shout. No. We just just and a cup. Away. And a mug. And a cup. If you want to, I, I actually like that war and waste concept. Bring yourself a cup and get a coffee and um, we'll provide the footies. And thank you so much to the Carlton Footy Club who are allowing us to do it on Princess Park. The hallowed turf. Woo. So many men 
this time have subscribed to come to Kick and Coffee and they're bringing their families. And I just wanted to say there was a query on the website if men were welcome. Of course you're welcome. Yes. I said, bring your omens. Yes. <laughs> Hit up Katie. <laughs> Tell her some boring stories. <laughs> um, I love a boring story. And um... <laughs> I don't know, Gretchen, you, know. you love a long, boring story. True, true. I have one to tell most weeks. She and, has um, 18 of them. <laughs> but thanks also to the Box Hill Hawks women's team yes. who are going to be They're going to come along. Um, oh, there's a few people coming us. along, but yeah. I will announce Sorry, the yes. names later. That's all right. But And congratulations to those girls who got their first win Yay. last week. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would urge you to... Rate us on, uh, give us a review on... Only if it's five stars, Yeah, we've talked about this before. (laughs) Um, I just want to say that today's program has been brought to you by the letter J, the number 18, and the words moonwalk and complicated. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Go footy. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.